You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. London is one of the world's great banking cities. There's no question there. And like so many parts of London's history, we can trace London's banking roots back to the Middle Ages, 1185 to be exact. But the city's first bank wasn't so much founded as it was consecrated. You see, that's when a church in London was made the home of monks who were already controlling the wealth of monarchs and landowners across Europe. Chartered by the Pope in 1119, it took the order only a few years before King Alfonso I of Aragon had given them a castle in his will. Maybe he liked that each monk had to take a vow of poverty and chastity before they joined the order. Maybe he just wanted to get a little credit with heaven when he set out toward his final destination. But he wasn't the only one. Within a few years, the monks were managing a massive fortune around Spain, something like a third of the kingdom. As representatives of the church, the monks were the ones to benefit. It didn't take long before the brotherhood owned everything from castles and mills to all the wool and wine their lands produced. Even if the monks themselves were poor, the order got rich, not least because any man who joined and took the same vow of poverty had to hand over his own belongings. And in those days, there were plenty of rich and powerful men taking the vows. After all, this was the era of crusades. And when French and Italian armies invaded Jerusalem in 1099, it also became the era of pilgrimage. By the time the monks opened their chapel in London almost a hundred years later, it was simply a new way station on a well-worn road for travelers from every corner of Europe on their way to the city of Jerusalem. And that's where the banking comes in. Because one of the things that hasn't changed about traveling a long distance is that it's expensive. But in those days, paying for a lot of things meant carrying a lot of money. But if you've heard the story of Robin Hood, you might see why rich travelers didn't think lugging sacks of gold on the road was a good idea. So they came up with a better solution. Someone at the beginning of their journey, say in London, could go to the chapel with their wealth and leave it in the hands of the monks. In return, the chapel would give the traveler a note of the amount. We don't know today exactly what that kind of document looked like, but there's no doubt it was less conspicuous than stacks of clanking coins. And the next time the traveler checked in with the monks, they could make a withdrawal. Today, we might take it for granted that banks work this way, and our international credit cards are a common everyday item. But in the Middle Ages, this was a revelation. Once they started to become well-known as bankers, though, things started to get even more complicated. They were taking deposits from merchants, yes, but even the rulers of France decided that they should deposit all the royal wealth with the order. It essentially made these monks the crown treasurers. At one point, the British royals followed suit. 
but it was the crown jewels of England they deposited in the chapel for safekeeping. In kingdoms all across Europe, the monks became the financial middlemen between the people and the crown, even collecting taxes sometimes. Soon enough, these monks sworn to poverty were the most sophisticated accountants around. They even got called in to audit the complex financial arrangements for other merchants and wealthy nobles. If their chapel in London had become England's first bank, the rest of their operation grew into Europe's first financial services company. Here's the thing, though. The order was founded as the Poor Knights of the Temple of Solomon at Jerusalem. That was their official name. But the richer they grew, the harder it was to call them poor. And that might be what started their bad reputation, especially when it comes to murky and powerful international networks. So their name, the Poor Knights of the Temple, came to be defined as suspicious dealings, hoarded treasure, and vast conspiracies as the years passed. And eventually, those medieval pioneers of international banking simply became known as the Knights Templar. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney Collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Those who look back on the good old days in America often think of a time when kids could freely walk the streets without care. Front doors were left unlocked at night. There wasn't the threat of danger around every corner. In reality, times were still problematic. 
Nearly every decade of the last century has seen war. During the 1950s, Ed Gein's brutal crimes scandalized his quiet Wisconsin town. He went on to inspire such fictional serial killers as Leatherface and Norman Bates. From the Great Depression to Vietnam, there wasn't an era in history without its problems. And as the years advanced, so did change, often at an alarming rate. By the late 1970s and early 1980s, the world looked much different than it had even 10 years earlier. And parents were worried. Crime was on the rise, and suburban moms and dads were scared for their children. Many of their fears were laid out in a 1980 book called Michelle Remembers, a memoir of sorts by a woman named Michelle Smith and her psychiatrist, Lawrence Pazder. In the book, Smith claimed to have suffered through something called satanic ritual abuse when she was five years old. The book was eventually discredited, but not before it did some serious damage to the national psyche. It kicked off an era in American history known as the Satanic Panic, a time when the media, law enforcement, and mental health industry all started warning people about satanic cults that plagued their small towns, and children were especially in danger. One of the biggest stories of the day had to do with a college student named James Dallas Egbert. James had grown up in a suburb of Dayton, Ohio, and from a young age, it was clear that he was a little bit different. For one, he was a genius, having graduated high school at the age of 16. In 1979, he was enrolled at Michigan State University as a computer science major. Being young and on his own in such a new place had taken a toll on him. The experience sent him into a spiral of depression and drug use, and he'd fallen in with a group of other students who had gotten him into a strange new form of occultism. They would sit around a table each night, reciting incantations, summoning demons, and other hellish creatures from their dorm rooms. Egbert's parents worried about him, but it all came to a head on the day that James disappeared. Nobody knew where he'd gone, so the police were called in, and his parents hired a private investigator named William Deere. The investigator noticed a clue in the boy's dorm room wall. He followed his hunch down to the steam tunnels beneath the university, where it was clear that James had been. And in the process, his investigation unearthed a lot about the troubled student. His trip to the steam tunnels had most likely been part of the ritual the students were performing, related to their evening summoning sessions back in the dorms. And it was this story that the papers and news programs reported on. Could a satanic cult be living on Michigan State's campus? Not long after he went missing, James eventually called William Deere and told him where he was. He had traveled from Michigan to New Orleans, where he planned on taking his own life. The investigator came down immediately to collect James and return him to his family. The truth was that James had faced severe depression and anxiety over a number of issues in his life, but he begged Deere not to tell anyone. Without a valid explanation for his disappearance, though, the press only had one thing to hold on to. James's nightly rituals with his friends. The only problem was that he actually hadn't joined a satanic cult. He'd been casting spells and slaying creatures in a fairly new tabletop game known as Dungeons and & Dragons. And because the media couldn't report on the truth about James, the theories and fears about Dungeons & Dragons spread among concerned parents everywhere. Nowadays, the game is played every day by kids, teens, and even Hollywood celebrities. It's become a part of everyday culture. But back then, Dungeons & Dragons was seen as a menace and a gateway to the dark side. More than just a game, it was viewed by many as a roll of the dice for America's soul. And little did they know, it would be a critical hit. <laughs> 